0: Luke 13, church, open your Bibles. Um, We don't just open our Bibles because we're called Neighborhood Bible Church. We're called Neighborhood Bible Church because we open our Bibles. Um, We are back in Luke uh, after quite a time away. Uh, We went through a little bit of time at Christmas and a little uh, venture into Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, uh, talking about the church in in the month of January. Um, And here we are in chapter 13. We're gonna wrap up chapter 13 this morning uh, while you're turning there you're going to multitask here's what I want you to do um, in just a moment I'm going to show you something on the screen and if you are absolutely sure um, which way the arrow is pointing then I want you to stand up so all over the room this is an exercise in confidence being able to stand up I want you to stand up if you look at the screen and know which way the arrow is pointing can you make absolute sure don't guess at this Okay, here we go. Go ahead and stand up if you know which way the arrow is pointing. Okay, now on the count of three, what I want you to do is I want you to turn in the direction the arrow is pointing. One, two, three, go. Okay, everyone sit down. Give a hand to these people. Now, some of you are mystified. You're like, how did they do it? Here's what's really powerful. This was a little test in hypocrisy because you either know the arrow direction or you don't and once in a while I've had people stand up and everyone's facing this way and they're like oops and they get with the program now all at once describe where the arrow is okay usually there's kind of a um, so there it is (laughs) plain as day how many of you have seen the FedEx logo and never seen the arrow before okay Now, listen to me. Once you see it, how many do you think will ever forget where that arrow is now? I mean, don't you think you'll look at the FedEx arrow? Some of you are like, I'm going to forget. Dave, you're going to use this illustration in six years. I'll totally forget. When I was first shown this, I was blown away. It's like, man, I understand FedEx. I understand the alphabet. I know what an arrow is. Never seen it ever before. But the moment it's shown for you, to you, kids and adults of all ages, as long as they understand what an arrow looks like, know which direction to go. This little illustration, this little demonstration, is right on point of where this text takes us today. Sometimes in our pride we can think we know the direction to go, and, and that it couldn't be that simple. It couldn't be have sitting before our faces this whole time, and we didn't see it. And the pride of the human heart will, will sometimes resist the simplest, most clear description of the way to go that even a child, a young child, could see it and understand um, because of their pride. I want you to look at this on the screen. Do this now or else. Now, don't raise your hands or anything, but just think about this for a second. Is this a kind statement? Is this a mean statement? Or is this something else? Now, maybe you're thinking, what I was thinking when I, saw, when, I, when I sort of put my mind around this. I think when I look at this, I would say, Dave, give me more information. I need context to this. So let me give you a couple of examples, okay? You tell me if this is mean, kind, or something else. An older brother or sister, or if you don't have one of those, a younger brother or sister. If you don't have one of those, an, a neighborhood kid, okay? An older brother is bossing a younger brother or sibling to disobey what mom has clearly told them not to do. And he's saying, do this now or else. Is that mean, kind, or something else? How many think that's mean? Yeah, that's mean. It's also actually wicked. Like you're you're telling this person to disobey their parents. That's mean. How many of you have ever been to... Pier 39, or up near Fisherman's Wharf near San Francisco. Anyone been there before? Okay, probably most of us. Uh, We like to go there once in a while. And as you walk along, you're on Pier 39, and a guy comes and offers you an incredible deal on clam chowder, but it must be bought right now because the deal is going away. Do this right now or else you're going to miss out. Is that kind? Is that mean? Or is that something else? Probably something else. He's not being mean. I mean, unless the clam chowder's poisoned, he's not being mean to you. But he may not be being kind either, necessarily. Here's one more. A fireman is telling you to climb out of a three-story window to keep you from dying. Do this right now, or else you're going to die. Kind, mean, or something else? Incredibly kind. Kind. What if he says it in kind of a mean way that's pretty direct and almost shouting at you? Is it still kind? Why why would he be shouting at you, do you think? Or why would he sound mean? What do you think? Urgency. Parents all the time in a perfect week are telling their kids this kind of message. And they are, they are slowly training them. It's like an IV drip. They're slowly training them for the moment when that child might be stepping immediately into harm's way. Think about a ball that's rolled out, and a child mindlessly goes after it. And the parent says, stop right now. They don't even get to what's at stake. And the kid is so trained in their mind that mom and dad have told me and taught me that this is a good thing, that they stop even though they sounded really mean in the moment. This morning, the title is this, that clear is kind. What I want to show you from this text is Jesus is really clear on three things in this text. Do this is what to do. Now is when to do it. And or else gets to the idea of what is at stake if you don't do what's being told. Let's look at this sign for a second. A tsunami, by the way, is often caused by an earthquake. And the people most in danger are those who live near the coast. Right? And what happens is the earth shifts. And just like you take a bowl of water and you go like this, what's going to happen is that water is going to go up. And it's going to go, and it's going to slosh out over the side. Well, what if sloshing out over the side is coming up and invading your town because you live on the coast? That's what a tsunami is. So this sign is telling people who would see the sign, it's warning people to do something really specific. What is the sign telling you to do? Evacuate. Run. Yeah, in words, it's evacuate. But even if you can't read, it's not even saying walk, stroll, do the centipede. Like just run it tells you a very clear direction, right? It's not this way, this way, this, it's this way. Run this way. Now, it doesn't clearly say when to do it, but it gives some urgency because if you understand what a tsunami is, and everyone in the room now understands what a tsunami is because I just told you, then you understand that, that when, when this is happening, do this now. And then when it says what's at stake, what's at stake? Really big waves, that look like the sharp teeth of a tiger are going to get you. So run in this direction now when this is happening. Clear is really kind. And that sign is a warning to people for people to see, to understand, and frankly, it's left up to them to ignore or to heed it. Today is such an important message because many people Um, both in and out of church, tend to imagine all kinds of realities that are not true. And this was the same in Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, many who who thought they were in the kingdom of God actually were in danger. And many of those who were out of the kingdom of God thought that they couldn't possibly get in on the kingdom of God. So, Jesus clears things up for those who will hear it, and Jesus muddies things up for those who would choose to know in advance that he's wrong. The FedEx sign is really, really clear, but there's a sense that you have to want to see it. You have to go, wait, where is it? And then once you see it, it took A second to explain it, and you go, Oh, there it is, I see it now. So, for those who have ears to hear, this is so clear. This whole series in Luke is called The Good Doctor. And as I was thinking about this, you know, you think about Jesus, um, Jesus is teaching all through Jerusalem, all through Israel, but he's not primarily a teacher. Jesus is healing diseases, but he's not really about the body getting well. And Jesus is performing miracles and upsetting the ruling authorities. But Jesus is not a performer, and Jesus is not a politician. Jesus is God, and He's on a rescue mission. That's what Luke is communicating to us. Built into the word, the good doctor, is the word God. Jesus was killed because He made the statement, plain as day, that I am God. And rightfully, no one should claim God unless they're actually God. And that's what ultimately got him hit, killed. The little tagline is hopeful healing for all. And it's on display in this passage. Hopeful healing for all. Remember that Luke was a Gentile. So, so Luke is coming in and writing from that perspective. And hopeful healing for all, Luke makes, makes really plain in his gospel that Jesus is for jews and that jesus is for gentiles what does that mean all that means is jesus for jews and everyone who aren't jews jesus is for women luke takes great pains to show that women are at all these key areas and points in the gospel he highlights their faith he highlights jesus's interaction with them this doesn't sound like a huge deal to our ears this is revolutionary. Jesus was the first in human history to offer the dignity to women in that way. Hopeful healing for all. The offer goes out and will be received by people from all over the globe. We're going to see that in our text today. But not all people receive the offer. All right? So Luke 13, verse 22, follow along with me. It says this. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. What is Luke telling us with journeying toward Jerusalem? We've already talked about this, but starting around chapter nine of this, what was that, Madison? He's not there yet. He's not there yet. Yeah, he's going there. What's going to happen in Jerusalem? He's going to be crucified. We have a cross built into our wall. We think about the cross not as a not as a backward. Um, thinking people only, but we remember what went on there. It was so foundational because the pinnacle of his rescue mission, the most important mission on the planet, was about to take place in Jerusalem. So, he was heading toward Jerusalem. When Luke does this, he keeps putting this sort of um, mindset on us that, that 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 was going on. Here's what's really, really powerful. Jesus knew his heading, so to speak, Jesus knew exactly what He was called to do. And yet, with the cross looming and taking on the punishment of the sins of the world looming, separation from the Father momentarily looming, Jesus has time to teach through little towns and outskirts on the way. He actually has time for the little guy. Someone comes and asks Him a question. That's the the context of what's going on. Verse 23 says this. So Jesus answers the question, but notice how he answers. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. So guy asks a question about how many, and Jesus answers a different question. So first of all, Jesus is clear on what to do. He says, do whatever it takes to make sure you get through the door. And by the way, the door is narrow. So here's something powerful. Jesus is describing entrance into the kingdom of God. He's saying it's narrow, which means this. It is not something that someone would casually go through. It is not something that you would walk through without even noticing. Oh, look at that. I'm through. Who knew? It's not that. And and thirdly, it's not a door that all are going through. Do you hear some messages of culture and some popular made-up realities that counter what Jesus is saying? I mean, can't you hear this rattling in your head? If God is a God of love, aren't we all saved? As long as we're not really bad people, whatever that means, we're all going to be saved. We're all just under the covering of love. There's some messages here that, that as, we, as we think about a narrow door and Jesus making a point that we're to strive to get in doesn't line up. In fact, that word strive in verse 24, it's, I'm going to butcher this, Ben, you can correct me if you want, but the Greek on this is is agoniste. Do you hear the word agonize in there? Agonize, they strive. What does it mean? It means intense exertion toward a goal. Church, listen to me really clearly. Put down your notes for one second. Jesus talks to people in the church, and Jesus talks to people out of the church, and this message goes forth. Do not take for granted that you are in. Do not take for granted that you're counted among those who are saved. What happens sometimes is we can come into church and always be thinking about those outside of the church. And what we actually mean is those who are in attendance at a church service, not those who are in the kingdom. So don't take for granted that you're in. Make sure that you get all the way through that door. Don't get off course in your striving. What do do I mean by that? Well, many will seek to enter and will not be able to, Jesus says. We're going to get to this in a moment. He's going to highlight some of the ways people strive to get into safety, and it's not God's prescribed way. This is due to the fact that people strive at the wrong things. If we get our striving off pace, off course, off priority, we end up in the wrong destination. Do you know that the first good work you're to strive for is simply to believe what Jesus says? Listen to this passage. John chapter 6, 28. What must we do to be doing the works of God? Anyone ever pray that before? I have. I pray it regularly. Is there more than one answer in the Scriptures? Absolutely. You read in one place, it says, this is God's will for you that you suffer for His namesake. Not a lot of bumper stickers that proclaim that verse. Not a lot of people that say, I've never met someone that says, that's my life verse. I just love that verse. But that's part of God's will for you. But listen to this, what must we be doing to do the works of God? Jesus started at the beginning with the people He was talking to in John chapter 6 when He was asked this. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God. What is it? Here it is. That you believe in him whom he has sent. The starting point. The very first thing you should... The only thing you should be striving to do is to believe in the one whom he sent. All right. Um, I was going to phrase this a different way, but I... Um, I read a book called The Bad Habits of Jesus, and I love the idea of it being a bad habit. So I'm going to phrase this in a bad habit motif. But Jesus has some bad habits. If you read through the Gospels and you aren't understanding how much He's offending the sensibilities of everyone around Him, from His closest friends, to His family, to the religious leaders, to the people who want to kill Him, to the average Joe on the street, then you need to reread the Gospels. Whenever someone says to me, Jesus would never do that, Jesus isn't offensive, Jesus isn't judgmental, Jesus isn't this, this, or this, I just go, man, what book are you reading? Like, what's your account of Jesus that gives you that idea? Because he's got tons of bad habits. Here's a couple on display in our passage today, okay? These are things that he did then and does now that offend the current culture. It's amazing that Jesus offends every culture through all of age, all the, all the time. Jesus had the bad habit of not answering questions directly and changing the subject. Do you see this? Lord, how many are going to get in? What does Jesus say? You strive to enter the narrow door. Just avoid my, my question. You just change the subject. How about this? Jesus had the bad habit of treating people like children and children like people. Why was this such a bad habit? Because children in those days, kids, this is going to hurt. But this is true in certain parts of the world today. Children in those days were to be seen and not heard. They were thought of as much, much less. Do you remember the disciples even? They were like his bodyguards trying to keep the pesky children away. What's Jesus say? Let the children come to me. In fact, he put a stern warning in place to say, anyone who prevents them, in fact, he says this, unless you become like a child, you'll never get into the kingdom of God. Jesus treated children like people, and he, teach, and he, ta- he talks to the most learned people of the day, and he treats them like children. Nicodemus, <laughs> you don't know the first thing about the law, but I'm a teacher of the law. How about marriage questions? You guys don't understand marriage at all. Let me boil it down to some basics. Such a bad habit. Here's one more. Jesus had the bad habit of offending people with his ultra narrow views. It's not just a narrow door, it's his narrow views that got him in trouble. So we'll move on with that. Now, you or others might be deeply upset that God offers such a narrow way to himself. It certainly is not a popular idea right now to say the only way to God is to trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of your sins, for the cleansing of your sins, and for eternal life. You stand up on your campus, even a Christian campus today, I think people will want to pick up the practice of stoning again. That's throwing rocks at you until it really hurts. That is not a popular message. But in the end, ready for this? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that this offends you. It doesn't matter that this offends your neighbor. It doesn't matter that it offends other people. Hear me, we come to God on His terms or we don't come to God at all. We find ourselves striving towards something other than God. Now, some of you, um, we've been at church We've been a church long enough that I've been to many of your near birthdays, as in the moment you were born. Becky loves getting the call that says, hey, so-and-so had their baby, let's go to the hospital. She always wants to go on that hospital visit with me. Ben and I together have been to to many births. And when we are born physically, we all go through an impossibly narrow door. That leads to life even a c-section right there is one path to life by God's design that's it we're like you know what I'd really love to come out the nostril I'm kind of a quirky guy let me do it that way not the way it is there's one path to life spiritually we're born again you know what it's an impossibly narrow door and it's the way and there's no other way but I don't like that way kind of too bad it doesn't matter there is one way to life. <clears throat> a few years ago, 12 members of a soccer team, ages 11 to 16, and their 25-year-old assistant coach entered a cave on June 23rd. You guys remember this? Thailand, right? Shortly afterwards, heavy rains partially flood the cave and it blocked their way out. They are now stuck in this cave. Rescue divers not only risked their life, but at least one laid down his life to come to their rescue. Rescue drivers told them that they each must go with them in this impossibly narrow route or else. Do this now or else. Jesus came to our rescue. He's not only the Savior, but He's the passageway to life. All who trust and go with Him, even though it may feel dark, even though it may feel scary, we trust Him as the expert diver, as it were, to get us out. Here's my question for you. If you are still in the cave of your sin, what on earth is keeping you? from taking the hand of Jesus and following Him the way out, no matter how narrow, no matter how scary, no matter how improbable it seems. I want you to evaluate what it's like in your cave of sin, what it's like in your miry pit, what it's like in the bog of your own self-destruction. And just ask yourself, what prevents me today from striving to enter the narrow door to life? Jesus not only is clear on what to do, but when to do it. Look at verse 25. Verse 25 says this, "'When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, "'Lord, open to us,' then he will answer to you, "'I do not know where you come from.' Then you will begin to say, "'We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets.'" But he will say, I, t- I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. If you want to write one key idea under this passage about Jesus being clear on when to do it, it might be this, <clears throat> that the number of the saved is not limited, but the opportunity is limited. The time to act is limited. Remember the original question? The original question is, hey, how many of us, is the implication, how many of us are going to be saved? What does Jesus do? He says, you strive to enter the narrow door, and then He lets you know, hey, by the way, the entrance is closing. The warning goes out, but the opportunity, the time is limited. So how is the time limited? How is the door closing? Well, I would say this. Quite simply, um, each one of us in this room is either going to be alive when the Lord comes back, which He's promised to do. John 14, 18, He says this. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. The Lord is coming like a thief in the night when no one knows. So either Jesus is coming back or we're gonna die. Do you see that both of those have a certain expiration date? Now, who knows the expiration date of either one of those? None of us in this room does. So the door is closing. The opportunity is limited, but we don't know the exact hour or day of those things. But think about just some some teachings through the scripture on urgency. Remember the rich man who kept storing up stuff and he was thinking to himself, in fact, he talked to his soul. Soul, you have plenty of stuff. Let's build bigger barns. And here was the message. The message was, you fool, this night your soul is required of you. Here you were making plans to build bigger barns to store more of your stuff and accumulate more things when all the while your time was up. How about Jesus saying this, stay awake and ready. Keep your lamps filled with oil is the metaphor. He says, I am coming at a time when you do not expect. How about Hebrews 3.15? Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. What's the problem with not acting when you're hearing His voice? Your heart gets a little harder each time. The more you reject, the more you say, not now, the more you say, I'll do it next week, the more you say it, when I get through this season of life, your heart hardens a little more each time. Isaiah 55, 6 says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Do you hear the urgency? How about 2 Corinthians 6, 2, behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Friends, do not, put, do not make the mistake of putting off the more, most important yes that you will ever give. Do not waste a single moment chasing things, chasing pathways, chasing other things to eternal life. The world is mourning the loss of Kobe Bryant right now. And there's all kinds of amazing tributes and whatnot that are going on. And what's powerful about someone like Kobe Bryant dying in a very sudden instant, it happened last Sunday while I was preaching, while services were going on. What's amazing is people think, and I've been listening carefully to the dialogue of culture on this, if he can go, what about us? And there's sort of some implications saying, wow, He was just flying to a basketball camp and mm, like that, his life was gone. So, here's what's powerful is the collective conscience of the sports world and way broader than that because Kobe was larger than basketball, has people thinking about questions that we do when we go to a funeral. Where is my loved one? I see a body in a casket or we see some ashes in an urn but that's not really the makeup of who they are. Huh. I wonder what happens to me when I die. Isn't it true, though, that the whole nation's going to forget about death in a little bit? It's just true. We'll think about Kobe for a while. We'll wonder, man, if his fame and his amazing talent and all the money that he had, if that can't spare him and it cut him down short in life, what about me? But then we'll go back to other things, won't we? Everyone who's ever been to a funeral knows this phenomenon. We go and we think, whoa, clarity. By Tuesday, we're back at our normal stuff. We are a forgetful people. So Kobe has death on the minds of people. (coughs) But we end up going back to thinking that every day will be just like the last day. Every week will be similar to a previous week. You know, just like in the days of Noah, people today think they are fine because they don't sense danger right now. The wicked think they're doing fine because they don't sense the danger right now and they've been getting away with it for a season. Do you know that tsunamis hit while people are vacationing? And even though this sign has been seen by them, they walked by it on the way to the pool all the time, there are people who die in a tsunami with a little drink with an umbrella in their hand probably. Probably. Because like in the days of Noah, they were eating and drinking and being married. They're on vacation. Something like this has never happened. I'm sure we're pretty good. Here's a little side point, by the way. Jesus moves from it being implied. How many of us are going to get in, Jesus? He takes it from theological, theoretical them, and He answers it this, you, you strive to enter the narrow door. We had a phrase growing up in our house. I have three brothers. Do you know what brothers do? They tattle on each other. They worry about other people. My mom said till she was blue in the face, "Worry about yourself." But 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 worry about yourself. Once in a while, if she was in a mood, she'd say, "You have plenty to worry about." Okay, mom, I'll worry about myself. Here's the application. Stop wasting time and effort on everyone else's spiritual security or insecurity and put the spotlight on yourself. Let me tell you blatantly what community group questions are designed to do. Community group questions. Community group leaders, listen up. You already know this, but I'll reiterate. Community group questions are driving to put the spotlight on me and my soul. And my restfulness with God or my discontent with God, that God has something against me. If we spend an hour and a half every week as community groups discussing theoretically what's going on, discussing them, we're totally missing it. We are in danger of remaining in danger and outside the kingdom. You're going to look at this as a community group this week. But 2 Corinthians says, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Now, here's a little tension. You've been hearing me say over and over last month, rest in the finished work of Christ. We have assurance, do we not, that we're saved? We have utter assurance. Jesus says over and over and over again, God informs us of this. But there is a tension to resting in the finished work of Christ and examining yourself to make sure that you're in the faith. So you guys are gonna kind of figure that out. I couldn't figure it out, so you're going to figure it out. In verse 26, Jesus lovingly undermines the people's self-confidence. You know what one of the worst sins today is is to is to tear down someone's self-confidence. That is a nonsensical thing to never do to someone. Here's why, because people build their life and put their hope on foolish things all the time. Jesus had the bad habit of calling out, "Hey, by the way, you're building on sand." That's a little kid's sandcastle that the moment the tide comes in, all that you're building for is gone. Didn't mince words, did he? That's foolish. You're in danger. In this specific instance, it's not about attending services or hearing a few sermons. Hey, you taught in our streets. We're in. We're with you. It's not about being familiar with or participating in some church things. Here's the big idea. A passing acquaintance with God is not the same as knowing Him and being known by Him. The last couple days, I was at a prayer summit in Yuba City with Christians from far and wide. I struck up a friendship with an older gentleman, Tom. He's retired now. But here's his testimony He was a mainline pastor for 25 years. He said, Dave, for 25 years, I didn't know Jesus. He was the pastor! He said, God got a hold of my heart, the Holy Spirit came into me, my eyes were opened, I went through the narrow door, I became a Christian, I went back to my congregation, I told them you'll never believe what happened to me. He said they didn't, and they fired him. (laughs) (laughs) I think it was, uh, what day is it, Sunday, It's Friday night. Friday night, we're celebrating communion as Christians, and I watched Tom walking forward to take the elements. Very similar sized churches as this. Walking forward to take the elements. And I'm standing off to the side holding, holding the cup and the bread. And I just, I thought, man, how many, how many communion services has Tom led? And he was in grave danger of a sin. I mean, he went and did the ceremony. He led the people in the ceremony. And here was Tom walking forward, now retired, now no platform. No one one cares that he's the guy. And he's free in Jesus. His feet are secure. He's out. He's not only out of the miry clay and the bog, he is washed clean from his sin. Because not only does he know Jesus, Jesus knows him. And I just thought, praise God for that. I was so moved by that, seeing Tom celebrate communion as my brother, knowing that this was our text this morning. It is not about ceremony or birth. Jesus said, the firm foundation, you build your life on the rock, are those who hear and believe me, it's not enough to hear that you taught in our streets. Jesus said those who are his real family are those who hear and do what I say. Paul wrote it this way in Romans 2, for you are not a true Jew just because you were born into a Jewish parents or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. Do you hear it? You aren't born into a Christian faith. You don't do ceremonies enough and then somehow you're in. Instead, he says this, no, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law, rather it is a change of heart produced by the Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. How on earth do you make sure your heart is right with God? You believe Jesus, the one God sent. So the entrance is narrow and the entrance is closing. A personal decision must be made and no one gets to imagine their own entrance requirements. Let me close with this. What do I have to lose or gain? Look at verse 25 or 28. He's really clear on this. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the heroes of the faith and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come, here's hopeful healing for all, listen to this, people will come from east and west, from north and south, and recline at table in the kingdom of God, and behold, some are last who will be first, and some who are first will be last. What you have to gain or lose, my friends, is life itself. Jesus describes a scene where those who are not in on the feast are consciously aware, not only of their own suffering, weeping is sorrow, gnashing of teeth is anger. Not only of their own sorrow and anger, but those of the suffering and anger around them. A really common made-up reality is this. You're a computer, and once you die, you unplug it. The screen goes blank, and you are no more. That is not true. Our bodies are like a wetsuit. We're going to use them for a while. They're going to start getting holes in them. They're going to start getting thinner and thinner. They're going to start aching, and we start taking medication to make it all work better for a little while. One day, we're peeling off the wetsuit. Our bodies are are a wetsuit. The core of who you are is a soul, and souls last forever. And Jesus describes, here's what's at stake. Not only your own suffering, but consciously aware of the suffering of those around you, but here's what else you will be aware of what you are missing out on. You will be consciously aware that the heroes of your faith are feasting with the Lord and you're not in on it. Friends, if this doesn't terrify you for yourself first, if this doesn't terrify you and also give you great courage and hope about the God who can pull up out of the mire all the things we heard and a million things more, I don't know what, what will. They will see and know just how wrong they were to say no to King Jesus. Here's the great news. You may not even know it, but God's being patient with you right now. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, The Lord isn't really slow about His promise, as some people think. No, He's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed but wants everyone to repent. Let me end by being really, really clear on something, and band, you can come on forward. Don't let the movement of the band coming forward lose the moment, ready? Admit that you're a sinner and that you can't possibly save yourself. I'll tell you the metaphor. You're a 12-year-old kid in a cave, miles from help, The whole world's bringing their best effort. There's one way out. That's what repentance is. Repent means to change your mind, to turn around. God, I've been seeking after life this whole way, my own way. I come to you on your terms. Number two, (coughs) trust in the path Jesus tells us to take. What's the path? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You don't know what the narrow door is? It's placing your trust in Jesus Christ. It's literally taking him by the hand and just saying, you're the leader. I waited patiently for the Lord. You know what's required for being led? Waiting. Don't raise your hand, but some of you have a hard time with waiting. You're the leader because you don't wait for anyone. Here's the last piece of when to do it. Listen to verse 10. This goes on. Very next verse. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements (coughs) themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth (coughs) and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Here's the third point. Do it today. Today if you hear His voice. If you don't see the arrow, if you don't trust the path, do not make a decision to follow Jesus Christ. That's just religious ceremony. That's not what's being asked of you. But for some of you who've never personally made a decision to say, I repent, I'm a sinner, I'm in need of rescue, God, today I trust your path. You know what's powerful? You don't need to walk up an aisle. You don't need to have tears. This is an act of faith. You receive the grace of God. During this next song, the band's going to lead us in, It May Be Helpful for you to just even have your hands open in a receiving posture. I hope this takes you back, Christian, to the moment that you understood the simple gospel and you walked through the door. I hope for those of you who have not yet made that decision that today's the day of salvation, that you say, God, I accept it. I thought I was saved. People think I'm saved. I'm not saved. I admit I'm a sinner. I receive your grace. I'm going to hear and do what you say for the rest of my life.